0: Well, hey everybody, I'm Adam Schell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our Sermon Podcast. Now, over the last few episodes of our podcast, we have been wrestling with how we can respond to some of life's biggest problems. And let's just be honest here. Our world is filled with some pretty big problems. From terrorism, to human trafficking, to systemic racism, to illegal immigration, to childhood poverty, to the opioid epidemic, to climate change, to gun violence... Our world is filled with some pretty big problems, and a lot of the times when we think about these problems, we don't even know where to begin trying to solve them. So over the last few episodes of this podcast, we've been trying to figure out what we can do when we don't know what to do. And in this week's episode, we are going to be reminded that in order for us to bring about real change in this world, well, it's not going to happen overnight. If we want to bring about real change, we're going to have to continue to persist, to have perseverance when it comes to the work that we're doing on any of these problems. So let's get right into this episode sermon and talk more about how we can have that perseverance.
1: inspiration out of nowhere. A moment where it feels like a light bulb goes on in your head, and you just get it. That's what Sir Isaac Newton had as he was sitting under a shady tree in his mother's garden when an apple fell on his head, at least according to legend, and the light bulb went on. And he started working on his theory of gravitation soon thereafter. It's what Alexander Fleming had in 1928 when he was returning to work at St. Mary's Hospital in London, England, after taking a vacation. And when he returned to his work, he found that everything was a mess. Before he had gone on vacation, he was studying the Staphylococcus bacteria, and when he came back, he found that all of his petri dishes, all of his samples, had been contaminated by mold. But upon further examination, Fleming realized that the mold had kept the bacteria from growing. And the light bulb went on in his head, and he was soon on his way to discovering penicillin. It's what happened during World War II to a guy named Percy Spencer as he was standing in front of radar sets. As he was standing in front of these radar sets, he noticed that whenever he had a piece of chocolate in his pocket, that the chocolate would melt. And soon he was... Using these radars as he stood in front of them to cook things like eggs and popcorn because the light bulb went on his head and he realized that he could use the microwaves from the radar to cook food and it changed the history of cooking forever. And it's happened to all of us too. We have all had these light bulb moments. Now, sure, our light bulb moments haven't resulted in new scientific and they haven't resulted in medical advancements and they haven't resulted in the creation of microwave ovens. But we've all had these light bulb moments. We've all had moments where things have just clicked and the light bulb has gone on in our head and we just get it. Now sometimes these light bulb moments can be over simple things like when the light goes on in your head and you realize that the reason why you haven't been able to turn on your TV set is because your remote control needed a new set of batteries. And sometimes these light bulb moments can be important, like the one that I had when I was a college student, and I finally realized that the cough and the sniffles that I got every spring wasn't the result of a rather punctual cold. Rather, it was seasonal allergies, which so many of us in the Ohio Valley have to deal with. But we have all had these light bulb moments, and deep down inside, I think we all like it when we have these moments. Why do we like these light bulb moments? Well, it's because in an instant, everything can change. In a moment, the world can be completely different and problems can be solved. We like light bulb moments because they're easy and they're immediate. And let's just be honest here. We live in a world that likes when things are easy and immediate. I mean, when I pick up my smartphone, I expect it to turn on immediately. If it doesn't, I start wondering if it's time for me to upgrade. When you're visiting a website, a new website for the first time, if you even see a loading bar on that screen, you probably get a little frustrated and you don't end up visiting that site after all. We get angry if we have to wait in a red line for more than a few seconds. We can become downright rude if we actually have to stand in a checkout line to buy our groceries at Kroger. Let's face it, we live in a world where we want everything. Easy and immediate. We want everything to be easy and immediate, and this is especially true when it comes to finding solutions for our problems. We want our problems to be solved easily, and we want them to be solved immediately. I mean, when your car won't start, you expect it to be fixed as soon as the guy from AAA pulls into your driveway. <clears throat> Excuse me. When you're not feeling well expect your, diet, your doctor to be able to diagnose whatever happens before you leave her office. When you decide that it's time to get a little bit healthier, you go and visit the gym, you expect to look like the rock after you walk out after your first trip to the gym. So we expect everything to be easy and immediate. But not every problem has an easy and immediate solution. Not every problem has an easy and immediate solution. Sometimes it takes a few days for your mechanic to get the parts in that they need to fix your car. And sometimes it's going to take your doctor months to be able to diagnose why you're not feeling well. And I hate to break it to you, but no matter how often you go to the gym, chances are that you are never going to look like The Rock, and we all just need to accept that reality. So, there are some problems that don't have easy and immediate solutions. This is especially true when it comes to the big problems that we face in our world today. The problems of terrorism and human trafficking and systemic racism and climate change and childhood poverty and illegal immigration and the problems of gun violence. None of them have easy or immediate solutions. So no matter how much we all wish that there was just some magical light switch out there that we could just flick to solve all of the problems of the world, there isn't. There is no light bulb moment that is going to fix what's broken in our world. So what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do when there is no easy or immediate solutions to the problems of the world? What are we supposed to do when we realize that there's not going to be a light bulb moment where everything just clicks and things get better immediately? Well, the first thing we need to realize that there's not going to be a light bulb moment that solves all of the problems of the world, it's to change our way of thinking. And it can be helpful for us to remember how we actually got the light bulb, because there is a certain amount of irony to referring to a sudden moment of inspiration or realization as a light bulb moment, and it's because the creation, the invention of the light bulb was anything but easy and immediate. Now, I know that's not the story of the light bulb that we're used to hearing. The version of the story of the invention of a light bulb that we're used to hearing sounds a whole lot like the version that Stephen Johnson tells in his book, How We Got to Now. And this is how he tells the story of the invention of the light bulb. He writes, After a triumphant start to his career inventing the phonograph and the stock ticker, a 31-year-old named Thomas Edison takes a few months off so that he can tour the American West perhaps not coincidentally, a region that was significantly darker at night than the gas-lit streets of New York and New Jersey where Edison lived. Two days after he returned to his lab in Menlo Park after this trip out west, in August of 1878, Edison draws three diagrams in a notebook, and he entitles them Electric Light. By 1879, just one year later, he files a patent application for an electric lamp that displays all the main characteristics of the light bulb that we know today. By the end of eighteen eighty two, just four years after Edison first drew those diagrams in his notebook, the Edison's company is powering electric light for the entire Pearl Street district in Lower Manhattan. Now that is a great story. The story of the wizard of Menlo Park having a moment of inspiration, and then just a few years later, his idea is lighting up the world. But that's not exactly the way that the light bulb was really invented. You see, we as human beings, we have been fascinated for a long, long time with trying to bring light into dark places. And what that means is that we have been trying to find bigger and better and brighter ways to light up the world for as long as we have been able to control. Fire. And that inspiration, that has led us to, to create things like the candle and the oil lamp. But the candle and the oil lamp were only short-term solutions to the problem of trying to light up the world. So by the early 1800s, when Edison, long before Edison ever even began to dream of inventing the electric light himself, there were already plenty of inventors out there that were tinkering with the creating an electric light bulb. So 80 years before Edison even sets to work on this project, we had already pretty well figured out the main components that were necessary for creating electric light. Like, 80 years before Edison started work on his light bulb, we already knew that there had to be some sort of filament that would glow whenever electricity passed through it. 80 years before Edison started his work, we already knew that there had to be some way to make sure this filament didn't burn out too quickly. 80 years before Edison even began work on the light bulb, we already knew that there had to be some sort of continuous supply of electricity that would power that filament to get this whole process started. It took another 40 years before an inventor was actually experimenting with the same materials that Edison would use when he eventually created the light bulb. That's right, still 40 years before Edison starts work on the light bulb, there was a Belgian inventor named Marcelin Jobard already was working with the key components that Edison would use. He was using a carbonized filament, and he was using a vacuum to try to create the electric light bulb. And over the course of the next four decades, there were at least two dozen other people who contributed something that Edison would eventually use to create his electric light bulb. But that's all just backstory, right? I mean, once Thomas Edison got the idea to work on the electric light, once he had that moment of inspiration, everything was easy and immediate, wasn't it? Not exactly. You see, Thomas Edison spent his first year working on the electric light bulb, trying to make a platinum filament work, but no matter how hard he tried, he just couldn't keep that platinum filament from burning out too quickly. Now, for most inventors, that would have put them all the way back at square one, without Thomas Edison. Because Edison was working with a team of other people that he employed, famously known as the Muckers, who were helping him create and invent this electric light. And it was one of these members of the Muckers that really helped propel the solution along. His name was Charles Batchelor. And Batchelor came up with a way for Edison and his team to test the potential material for a whole lot of different filaments at one time. And Edison and his team, they went through a veritable botanical garden of possible resources before they finally arrived on using carbonized bamboo in a vacuum to create the electric light. We have to remember where Edison and his team are working. They're working in Menlo Park, which is in New Jersey. So it's not like they have a ready supply of bamboo that was just growing out in their backyard. So, in order for Edison to not only create but also to manufacture a light bulb, he had to come up with a way to have a steady supply of bamboo available to him. And what that meant is that Edison had to send emissaries out all around the world to try to find the bamboo that he needed. And that was no small feat. One of the emissaries that Edison sent out actually contracted yellow fever while they were in Cuba, and they later died from it. Another one of his emissaries paddled down more than 2,000 miles of river in Brazil, trying to find the bamboo that Edison would eventually use. Even had one emissary that had to travel as far as Japan and China before he was finally able to reach an agreement with a farmer in China that would provide the bamboo that Edison would use to create the light bulb. So it's missing somewhere. It's a misunderstanding to say that the invention of the light bulb was easy and immediate, because it wasn't. The reality is, it took more than 80 years and the, contru- the contributions of more than two dozen other inventors in and for Edison to be able to invent the light bulb. It took the contributions of a team filled with experts that covered every area of knowledge from chemistry to to an understanding of biology, the people who could understand how to do the woodwork, the metalwork, everything that needed to happen in order for this light bulb to become a reality. And it took Thomas Edison a year of failures. It took Thomas Edison sending out emissaries on dangerous journeys all around the world. And it took a timely agreement with a farmer in China in order for Edison to finally be able to invent incandescent. bulb. Well, so it's safe for us to say that Thomas Edison really meant it when he said, invention is 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. Invention is 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. The same thing is true when it comes to solving problems, the big problems in our world that Solutions are 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. To put it another way, if we want to solve the big problems of the world, we have to have perseverance. Now, I know that's not exactly what any of us want to hear. We've already talked about it. We want solutions to be easy, and we want them to be immediate. So when we think about the big problems that we face in the world today, we want to believe that they can all be solved in a matter of hours or days at the worst. So you don't want to hear that it's going to take years or maybe even decades to be able to solve the big problems all around us. We don't want to have to think about the fact that to solve these problems, we have to have perseverance. Perseverance is a key attribute of what it means for us to be followers of Jesus. The Bible teaches us a lot about what it means to persevere. And as a matter of fact, in the passage of Scripture that we're going to be looking at today, that's what it's talking about. It's talking about perseverance. So if you've got a Bible close by, go ahead and grab it and turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Now, as you're finding that, let me just give you a little bit more context here. Matthew chapter 7 is part of a larger section of Scripture that we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. And why do we refer to this as the Sermon on the Mount? Well, after Jesus begins his public ministry, he is soon attracting a crowd that seems to be following him wherever he goes. So Jesus climbs up onto a mountain and he teaches this crowd. So from Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7, Jesus delivers the sermon on mount. So Matthew 7 is just part of what Jesus teaches the crowd. So for us to really appreciate what Jesus teaches in Matthew 7, it's helpful if we can think about some of the other things that Jesus taught the crowd that day. Now, if your Bible looks anything like the Bible that I use, there are probably all sorts of different headings inside of your Bible in Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7 that give you a glimpse of the kind of stuff that Jesus was teaching the crowd. So this on the about Jesus teaches the crowd about what it means to be salt and what it means to be light. Jesus teaches the crowd about law. Jesus teaches that crowd about anger and adultery, about divorce and division. Jesus teaches that crowd about loving their enemies, Turning the other cheek and praying for those who persecute you. Jesus teaches the crowd about the narrow gate and the golden rule. But it's as he gets to the end of the Sermon on the Mount But Jesus tells the crowd, tells us what the sermon has really been about. And what the sermon has really been about is he's been trying to teach the people in the crowd how they can obey God. So Jesus has been teaching them how they're supposed to live. So keep that in mind. Jesus is teaching us how we're supposed to live in the Sermon on the Mount as we start reading in Matthew chapter 7. We're going to start reading in verse 7. Here's what Jesus says. He says, Ask, and you will receive. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Whoever seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, The door is opened. Now in these two verses, Jesus uses words like ask, and search, and knock. And in a grammatical sense, all three of these words are used in the present tense. Typically words that are used in the present tense in English refer to a one-time action. So when we read this passage, it seems like Jesus is telling us, if you will ask just one time, then you will receive. If you will search just one time, then you will find. If you will knock just one time, then the door will be opened to you. The problem with understanding Jesus saying it this way is that's not actually what Jesus says. And that's because the present tense that these words are translated to in English isn't the way that the Greek words actually are. In Greek, there's a different tense used altogether that refers to an ongoing So a better way to understand what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 7 is this. Jesus says, ask and keep on asking, and you will receive. Search and keep on searching, and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks and continues to ask, receives Whoever seeks and continues to seek will find, and whoever and everyone who knocks and keeps on knocking will have the door open for them. So in these two verses, Jesus is trying to teach us about the importance of perseverance. Jesus wants us to understand that if we want to receive, then we have to keep on asking until we receive what we're asking for. Jesus wants us to understand that if we want to find something, then we have to keep searching for it until we find whatever it is we're looking for. And Jesus wants us to know that if we want the door open to us, we can't just knock on it one time and then walk away. We have to keep pounding on the door until it's opened for us to have perseverance if the world around us is ever going to change. Or to put it another way for you, if we want our world to change, we can't give up. If we want our world to change, then we can't give up on changing the world. Now, I know. I know it's not easy to keep going. when We are not seeing I know it's not easy to keep going when there aren't any results. I know it's not easy to keep going when it seems like nothing ever changes. And that's where we've been at with so many of these big problems that we face in our world today. Throughout the sermon series, one of our biggest focus on the major problems that we see in our world today is on gun violence. And we haven't seen much change in the way of gun violence at all in recent time. So it's hard to keep asking hoping that it will change when nothing ever seems to happen. It's hard to have perseverance, hoping that the epidemic of gun violence will come to an end when nothing ever changes. It's hard to keep having that perseverance when it comes to gun violence, because everything seems to be the same today as it was yesterday, as it was a couple of weeks ago, when a mass shooting took place in Uvalde, Texas. So it's hard. And if we keep going, our efforts will eventually be worth it. All of the effort that we put in to changing, bringing an end to gun violence in our world, will be worth it if we can stop just one mass shooting from taking place. All of the effort that we're putting in, to try to change the world around us and bring it into gun violence will be worth it if your efforts help save just one life. All of the effort that we can put into bringing it into gun violence will be worth it if we can stop one more community from being torn apart by these kind of tragedies. going even when it's not easy, because it will be worth it. Keep going even when you cannot see a tangible result today, because eventually it will be worth it. Keep going even when you're not feeling motivated to keep going for another day, because it will be worth it. Keep letting your light shine into the darkness around you. Because even though real change may take longer than a light bulb moment, real change is possible. But real change cannot happen without perseverance. Real change never happens if we just give up. Let's pray together. God, as we come to you in this time of prayer, You know that when we look at the big problems in the world around us, it's easy for us to just want to throw our hands up in the air and say that there's nothing we can do about them and just give up. But God, we as people of faith. We know that perseverance is a key attribute of what it means for us to follow you. So God, help us to keep going. Help us to keep going and keep working and doing what we can do to solve these big problems in the world around us. Help us to keep going even when we don't see results, even when it feels like our our wheels are just spinning, even when it seems like nothing is ever going to change. Because God, if we give up, nothing will ever change. If we want to see this world become a better place, if we want this world to be filled with your light, we have to keep going. So God, give us the energy Give us the motivation, give us the perseverance, to keep going to not quit until this world is filled with your light. We pray all in Jesus' name.
0: Well, hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our Sermon Podcast. And I hope that this episode has encouraged you to just keep going when it comes to trying to solve all the big problems in the world around us. We cannot give up. We can't give up on trying to find solutions to the problem of gun violence and terrorism and human trafficking and systemic racism and illegal immigration and childhood poverty and climate change and the opioid crisis. We have to keep going. Because if we quit, we're never going to change anything. So keep going. Keep fighting the fight. Keep doing whatever it is that you can do to bring about real change. Because in the end, your efforts will be worth it. Well, this does wrap up this series of sermons that we've been calling What to Do When You Don't Know What to Do. So in our next episode, we're going to be starting into a brand new series of sermons they are going to be preached by the youth minister here at Melbourne Heights, Joe Noland. So I hope that you'll come back and join us when our next episode drops next Tuesday. As always, if you subscribe to our podcast, that episode will be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. But you don't have to wait till next Tuesday to join us. You also can come and worship with us live online every Sunday morning. You can meet us at 10.30 a.m. Eastern time on our church website at mhbclouisville.com slash live. We would love to have you come and join us. Well, until next time, I hope that you have a great week. We will be praying for you, and we'll see you back here soon for another sermon podcast.